This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. All right, Chag Sameach, everyone. How are we doing? How's our energy level? That's good. What was the last course? Ice cream? Okay, well, I expect your energy level to be fantastic for the first 15 minutes and then crash. But we're going we're gonna to do our best to keep you with us. Um, my name is Rabbi Morris Panitz, um, and I am... I, I'm just so delighted and... The Yiddish word is for klempt, like I'm, I'm emotional um, and joyous and a little weepy. It's that, that's what for klempt means. That's the combination. Um, to be um, learning and teaching in partnership this evening with Jessica Cabot, Jen Bailey, and Alex Kuto, um, three friends of mine who uh, I also had the privilege of working with this past 12 to 18 months uh, on each of their journeys towards uh, becoming a member of the Jewish people, towards conversion. Um, so w- why this conversation on this particular night? Let's start there. Um, too fully, quite yet, because that's where some of our texts are going to take us. Um, but I want to say one other thing about um, sort of methodology here, or, or pedagogy, w- why we wanted to present this material in this way on this evening. Um, these texts that we're going to learn tonight are about converts. They're written by primarily Jews who were born into Judaism about converts, right? There's a certain perspective here being offered by the text. And as we're thinking about this evening, it felt like it made most sense to learn texts about converts with converts. How do you feel about these texts? What does it feel like to be the object of these rabbis ideas? Do you resonate with them? Does it, does it match or map onto your experience, or is it dissonant from that? And I would say this is probably 
a, a wise approach to all sorts of learning, right? Not, not just this kind of learning, um, but that's, that's, the, that's the, the direction that our, our sort of lens is aimed this evening. And so Jessica, Jen, and Alex, um, and I have all the opportunity to learn these texts together leading up to tonight. And so we've had some conversations about what, what we think these texts say. And we're going to sort of continue that conversation, continue that learning, do a, a second run through these texts together. Um, first, centering and amplifying the voices of the three people up in front of you this evening. Um, but as is the nature of text study, we also want to hear from you. So as, as, you, as you read these texts and, and hear what Alex, Jessica, and Jen have to say and want to offer your own insights, you're welcome to. And that'll be sort of more for the three of you to react to as well. Okay, you with me? All right, so our first text here um, comes from the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, from the tractate known as Shabbat. Rav Acha said to Rav Ashi, everyone see where I am? All right. What about converts? Rav Ashi said to him, even though they themselves were not literally at Mount Sinai, their mazal, which is a tricky word to translate, for the moment, let's hold on to the notion of souls or something about the cosmic alignment of the heavens at the moment of revelation at Sinai had an impact on the people who were to become converts in later generations. But that was too many words to put in parentheses. So let's go with souls for a moment. Their souls were present. As it is written, it is not with you alone that I make this covenant and this oath, but with he that stands here with us today before the Lord our God, and with he that is not here with us today. And this includes converts. So just to break down what's happening in the text for a moment before I get your reactions. Um, we have this central event, one-time event, right, that breaks into the course of Jewish history known as the giving of Torah at Mount Sinai. It's a crucial event in the creation of Jewish peoplehood. It's a central event, and it's an event that is not repeated in future generations. And so the rabbis have to ask the question, and this is a technical legal question. Um, if a covenant or if an agreement is, is forged, at a particular moment, in particular time, with a particular set of people, then how can we say that any subsequent generations would be liable to the terms of the covenant if they weren't there? Right? If you didn't sign your name on the dotted line, then how is it possible to say that you are obligated to the terms of that covenant, of that commandment? So in comes the Deuteronomy text which proves that the covenant that was forged at Mount Sinai is not just with the people who were there, but those that are not here with us today, those who are not there today. And then the rabbis had an option. They could have said, that applies to all Jews who are born as Jews in subsequent generations. And surely they mean that as well. But then they make what you might think to be a surprising move, or maybe you don't think of it as a surprising move, and they say it's not just future Jews who are born into Judaism whose souls were present at the time of the giving of Torah at Mount Sinai, because after all, I was born in 
I won't say the year, because then you'll make fun of me. But I was born in such and such a day that happened after Mount Sinai, okay? So I'm, I wasn't physically there, right? But then the rabbis say it's not just people who are born Jewish who were there. The souls of converts were there. So Alex, Jen, and Jessica, I, I'd love to hear how you relate to the notion of the rabbis in the you know, fourth, fifth, or sixth century of the Common Era saying that your soul was present at the moment of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Do you, do you resonate with it? Do you bristle at it? How do you understand this text? Jen, I'm going to ask you to start. <laughs> hey. I have the benefit of having, I've learned this with all of you, so I, I, know, I know where to start. Okay. Um, I, kind of, I kind of hear it in the first phrase that comes to mind tonight is like, tell me about it. That's right. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I feel that. Um, I think if I hadn't felt that um, deeply, it would have been very difficult for me to go through this process because it's that deep sense of belonging that I sort of had an echo of and that I was walking toward during this process. Um, so it, it resonates really deeply with sort of a intuitive feeling that I had and a feeling that I I made a conscious effort to nurture and grow and share with others. Okay, I'll go next. Is this on? Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Um, I feel, I'm not quite sure if I was there, maybe. Um, but I do have some inklings, some feelings that perhaps, uh, you know, growing up, I felt a little Jewish, maybe, if that makes sense. I'm not sure. Maybe it's hindsight now that I've become Jewish. But um, I've always had Jewish friends, for example, growing up, always kind of affiliated with other Jews and felt um, at home with them, um, close to the community, if you will. And then, so I'm not sure all my favorite artists happen to be Jewish or writers, stuff like that. And always, is that coincidence? Perhaps? I don't know. Um, is this, hello. Okay, yeah, I connect with everything Jen and Alex said, and I think the idea that my Mazal was present at Mount Sinai with my friends is very meaningful to me because the friends I've made in this community, like, are my sole family, and I really, like, sorry, <laughs> I just, like, feel a really deep connection with my friends um, in the Jewish community that feels kind of like on a different dimension and I feel like the Mount Sinai story really kind of like affirms that and just it resonates and it um, just helps me make sense of my own spiritual journey so I and yeah I just feel like I was I must have been there so yeah <laughs> right, so I, um, I just want to I want to highlight that you know in, in different ways um, each of you are are, are pointing to some, some internal sense that might have been difficult to, to name or to claim at various points of your life, that as you stepped further into a Jewish identity, it almost, it almost grew in vibrancy within, right? as if there's a, a, a memory that's a little bit hard to grasp, but with enough prompts 
or related images, the memory came into sharper clarity. Jen, please. I want to disagree in my own experience. Um, and I'm so glad I can share this detail because it's so embarrassing and awesome. And that is that I wrote angsty poetry about this when I was a teenager. <laughs> I had words. <laughs> it was sharing them. That was the hard part. It was uh, putting that out there for other people to see and um, judge um, and relate to or not relate to. That was actually the, the unfolding process for me. I want to I want to return to that in a moment, um, but I want us to to work through the second text um, because the second text and the first text I think are in conversation with each other, but from they come from different angles and um, part of the tension of uh, feeling something but not knowing how to claim it, which I think is part part of what you're saying, Jen. I think we'll, we'll take on even an, another dimension as we read the second text. So the second text, um, Midrash Tanchuma, this comes from relatively the same time period as the first text that we read. Um, and I want you to notice how once again Sinai, the events of Sinai are central to what's being articulated, but is categorically different <laughs> in terms of the conclusion than what we read in the first text. Okay. Rabbi Shimon, the son of Lakish, declared, a convert is more precious in the sight of the Holy One than those who stood at the foot of Sinai. Why is this so? If those who stood at the foot of Mount Sinai had not experienced the thunder, the flames, the lightning, the quaking of the mountain, and the sound of the shofarot, they would not have accepted the yoke of the kingdom of heaven upon themselves. Whereas the convert who witnessed none of these things, makes themselves acceptable to the Holy One and receives upon themselves the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Is there anyone more precious than this? Right? You, you see how this is coming from a different angle. Right? What's shared is a desire in both texts to, to celebrate the convert. Right? To, to celebrate the journey, to celebrate the destination, right? to celebrate the, the status and identity of the convert. But the first text says, see, you've been here all along. Right? And the second text says, no, actually, you weren't there at Sinai, which means you, you and your soul didn't witness the, the profound pyrotechnics of Sinai, right? the profound revelatory experience that how could you believe anything other than the truth of the moment because you were there witnessing it. But nonetheless, even without that, without the, the convincing you know, argument and proof delivered with the divine hand, you still found your way to this truth, to this path, to, the, to this identity. Isn't, isn't that remarkable? maybe even more remarkable than those who are at the foot of Sinai. And so same question, right? In what ways do you find this second text either resonant or dissonant with your own understanding of self as a convert and your own journey um, into affirming or claiming this Jewish identity? 
Um, well, my Mazal was at Mount Sinai, so I think it's giving me too much credit for something I didn't do. I love that because this is, this is giving me too much credit is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, my first reaction was, I'm not so sure if I'm any more precious than anybody else, but um, I do appreciate the notion. Um, <laughs> I, do, I do find it interesting, however, that, you know, I think most of the people in this room were born Jewish, and, and I had to become Jewish. It was a lot of work, you know, so it was... You guys are merely born to it, and, and I had to pay, you know, so <laughs> a lot of work. Not, not the rabbi, I want to be clear. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to pay the rabbi. But, um, but no, it is, um, and I think it's um, all the more special, though. No, and it was a pleasure to, 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 to study and to uh, learn under your, yourself, Rabbi, so it was, it was all great. I guess I would also say, um, and I, I'm going to caution this and say it's an internal thing. I fought for this. I fought for this. I worked so hard against my own anxiety. And I think if COVID haven't, hadn't happened and I couldn't have done this online, it would have never happened because I wouldn't have had the courage to just like cross that threshold. But I fought for this. So the part of this that I do resonate with that's not giving me too much credit, I guess, um, is, is that I, I chose to go through like that obstacle. And in that sense, I did make a choice without um, a choice that I could have turned away from, and I didn't. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, if we were to put labels on each of these texts in a way that, that, that tries to celebrate different elements of the experience that you and other converts might have gone through, we might say that the first text is trying to articulate a notion of um, always having had a Jewish soul, and then the work is, is claiming it and, and affirming it. Right? Whereas the second text, if we're, giving the seven, if we're giving the second text the benefit of the doubt, right, we might even understand the second text as being what the language of Jew by choice is meant to convene. Right, that that you had to choose this, that it 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 wasn't um, it wasn't what you grew up with necessarily. You you had a different set of customs, a different rhythm to the calendar, a, a different um, you know maybe even different religious practices that were deeply incorporated into your life, and that having the experience as an adult of thinking you know, is the spirituality that I grew up with or is the absence of spirituality that I grew up with, is that actually who I want to be in this world? Is that reflective of, of the life that I want to create and, and build for myself? And that each of you in some way said, no, no, it's not, right? I, I, I want to make a different choice than what was given to me or than what I inherited in my upbringing. And, and so the tension of I'm proud of myself for choosing this or I put in work to choose this. Right? I've had to learn a new language, a new vocabulary, a new rhythm of doing things. I've had to sit in services when I didn't know when people were going to stand or sit and figure that all out. And I still don't know, right? And you have to choose it versus 
I really want to minimize the notion of choosing here because that makes it seem like this hasn't been true of me all along. Can, can you speak a little bit to the tension of those two frames? I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like, I mean, isn't that true for identity in general, right? Like, we all have the choice of whether or not we're going to embrace, nurture, and grow our identity. Um, and that's always an act of courage on some level. And that is always a choice to sort of the evidence that God puts forth of how, how we are intended to be. Um, and we're making that choice all the time. Um, so I feel like if you take both of these together, um, it really speaks in a more universal way to the fact that we, we, are, we didn't choose to have that question asked of us, but we choose whether or not we answer it. Still marinating on that one. <laughs> yeah. Allison, can I ask you to stand up and just try to speak as loud as you can? Um, one of the things that kind of comes up for me when I read, especially the second source, is um, it makes me think of like balchuvas. You know, there are a lot of categories of Jews or types of Jews who like make choices and go out of their way to learn things. You know, like I grew up in a reform secular family, and so there was also a lot of choosing and a lot of learning and a lot of discomfort. I don't think that's a unique experience. I think there's a lot of variety. So like, part of what, there's a blessing that I've heard rabbis like use at the mikvah. I used to work as a mikvah guide. And um, <laughs> there's a blessing that I've heard rabbis give that, that kind of seems to come from this source from Midrash Tenchuma, like saying like, Oh, a convert is even more great than other Jews. And I always felt like, why are you, like, why put this person in a, such a separate category? I, I just kind of bump on that. So, okay. Same. So th this came up in Jessica and I, when we were learning this text, that this came up. So I want to, I want to, I want to complicate this a little bit. All right, let, let's, let's say we're going to remove the more precious piece. All right, let's, let's say that we're going to reject that notion here, right? This isn't about more or less precious, right? We're all equally precious in the eyes of God. Um, there is still a, a binary created here, right, of Jews by birth and Jews who become Jews through conversion. And, and I think one of the questions that, I, that I'm hoping you all will speak to is, Right, I should say, right, there's, a, there's a very famous text that, that people sometimes cite, which is that you, you shouldn't remind a convert once they've become Jewish that they used to be anything other than Jewish. It, it's in the same text that says you shouldn't remind a sinner or an idolater that they used to be a sinner or an idolater because that would be... Impolite. Impolite or... or uh, untruthful or even shameful to the person, right? But I'm wondering to what degree it's worth celebrating the journey of 
choosing Judaism, or if once you've chosen Judaism, <laughs> or once you've heeded the call, right, then, then you sort of want the division to be dissipated. Uh, I guess I don't mind the history so much, you know? It's a part of who I am and the process of what I've become. Uh, I metamorphosed, so. I don't mind that I used to be the worm became the butterfly, you know, it's all. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's part of the story. And to me, it's, a, I guess, a character arc, perhaps, something that has occurred in, um, in something I cherish, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I, I remember, so it's okay if you remind me, because I already know, I'm not gonna forget. Um, and, and in fact, when I, when I read that, line who witnessed none of these things, um, that feeling of being on the outside and yearning to be on the inside is so poignant to me. How could I ever forget that? And why would I ever want to? Um, and I also think that when you don't talk about something, you make it seem shameful. And one of the reasons why I love that you invited us to do this and that we're doing this here is like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And when we don't talk about something, we make it seem like it is. Um, and yeah, I love, my, I, I like my character arc, darn it. I'm fine sharing it, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm happy to talk about my path. I just feel like I had a different path. I, but I feel like I really don't like the Jew by choice phrase um, because the word choice feels a little loaded to me and it feels like it ascribes meaning to my experience that doesn't really ring true to how I arrived here. And so um, I don't love it. And it also feels a little bit othering. So I feel like I'm in a space where like, I'm completely happy to be like honest and open about how I like came to Judaism or like came to live a Jewish life, but I just don't want to be called a Jew by choice because it just makes me feel weird, to be honest. <laughs> Teresa. There's a mic behind you. Oh. Thank you. Hello. Yes, it is on. Okay. Um, first of all, I uh, also, I'm a five-year-old Jew. Um, and I, I, I barely know my letters, but it's okay because I'm only five. Um, but no. I definitely resonate with the second text more. I think when I was a one-year-old Jew, a two-year-old Jew, I needed the first text more because I, and, and I, like you all described too, I had a lot of those flags along the way. Like when I, I grew up Catholic and when I had my confirmation Bible, I decided one day I was gonna read it cover to cover and I did and I was writing all this stuff in the margins and then I found it years later and I'm like, this is the most Jewish thing ever. I'm doing like my own commentary. <laughs> um, so it was like, one of those things where like things popped up. Um, but I also, like you said, like it's part of my story. And I think, um, I think of it like being adopted into a family. That kid knows they're adopted. You're not fooling them by being like, they were always your parents, you know? Like, I know I came to this by choice. Were there things in my personality and my ways of thinking that led me here? Of course there were. That's so why I'm here. But I also don't need my past to be erased in order to fully embrace and be empowered in the fact that I decided to be here. 
And I, I, I was glad to come to this event precisely because I knew there were going to be other conferences. I'm like, I want to know who we are. Like, I want to kind of, I want to seek us out and be like, let's chat. Um, because it's a joyful thing. And like, we all know, and that's cool. Like, we, we, we all decided to be here. And like, uh, what was your name? Allison. Like Allison said, there are so many different kinds of Jews that, um, with different levels of observance, even born Jews. So like, there's always things to talk about as far as like, how far are you on your journey? How far are you on your journey? Like that never stops whether you're a convert or not. So it doesn't make me feel more shameful. And the second text kind of captures the power in choosing to do this. Um, we're going to take, take Brent and then we're going to flip the page and go to the other, the other text. Um, sorry. Thank you. Um, this is such a powerful conversation, and I'm a three-month-old Jew, so um, I'm barely, I'm not even standing up yet. Um, I'm still in diapers. I'm a mess. Um, so this is such a, um, I think this is so, it was rewarding to hear the second paragraph, but I understand where you're coming from. You know, it feels, it feels, can be hierarchical, but for me, it feels rewarding because I, I sometimes I think I, I secretly feel sort of imposter syndrome occasionally sitting in these rooms. And like even I'm thinking I, I don't I wouldn't say we next to Jews uh, yet. And I will at some point get there because of the just the deep traumatic history that I think people whose living relatives or past relatives had experienced that I was born in in like white Christian privilege, that I was born from a lineage of people who perpetrated a lot of stuff, but also as the father of th three black children who were my chosen family and not my, you know, birth family. In that way, we also share that complexity. And I have this complex relationship where, of course, I'm their father. And of course, I don't share the same path that they're going on. And I think I can navigate both. I feel like in these rooms, I can navigate both, knowing that you know it was just a while ago I was in a Southern Baptist home, being dunked in very different waters, <laughs> when I was 11, you know, and now just three months from my mikvah, and it's complicated. And I just want to acknowledge the complication that I don't always feel comfortable saying we and my people, you know, in, in that way. Although I do feel welcome here. It isn't about never feeling welcome. It's just something I'm, I'm holding space for that complexity. I don't think I have the luxury of saying our in some, in some circles, if that makes sense. Thank, thank you, Brent. Um, we're going we're gonna to explore that idea further on the, in the next text, but I just want to pause to see if Alex, Jessica, or Jen want to respond to anything they heard. Before moving on, um, I agree. It's complex, definitely. It's layered. Um, so, yeah, we're in the same boat there, I think. Still getting used to things. I, I think um, actually this is an opportunity to do just a, a tiny bit of assumption busting. Because um, I'm glad that you said your story. I'm not, you're not making an assumption. Um, but sometimes there's the assumption that people who convert don't have any Jewish ancestry. And not only do I, you know, my, my great-grandmother's entire family died in the Holocaust. So people make this assumption that I don't have that deep root, and, and I very much do. 
Um, and, and honestly, like I get a little defensive about it because I've spent my whole life being like, no, but this is part of my story as well. And it's part of my family and I'm reclaiming this for my family. And people are like, oh, well, it's so nice that you brought a totally new thing into your life. It's totally not new. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel the same way. I also have some Jewish ancestry and I think what I was thinking about, it's like, I had like a seed, like a seed of my Jewish identity and it was something I uncovered and then it was just something that wouldn't leave me alone for like 10 years or so and I showed up to a synagogue in 2017 and then I was like freaked out, like what am I doing, like who am I, like I shouldn't be here, imposter syndrome and didn't do anything about it then but then it didn't go away, the calling to answer to Judaism so then um, you know, after the pandemic, I was kind of like, well, you know, the, if not now, when? Uh, and and so I, I just feel like it, you know, to go back to that metamorphosis idea, it feels like kind of like a flower blooming. But then it feels like I'm sometimes like around other flowers who are like, oh, so are you a flower by choice? You know, and <laughs> like, because um, they've been flowers for so long, so they mm -hmm. don't remember what it was to be a seed. And... Mm -hmm. That's sort of how I feel about it. I, I mean, we could stop there. <laughs> we could stop there. Um, but I want, I want to share this last text um, um, and, and get your voices in response to this last text. So if you'll flip the page. Um, this is a slightly different genre of text than the first two that we've seen. Um, this is called a responsum, which is a a legal text. This is Maimonides, Rambam, writing in the 12th century, responding to a letter that he has received about a legal question, a technical halachic question, which has to do with liturgy. Right? And the question, as you'll see being asked, is whether this man, Ovadia, who has converted to Judaism, should recite the same liturgy, the same words of prayer that the flowers who have been flowers for a long time know to say and have been saying. So listen to Rambam's answer. I received the question of Ovadia, the wise and learned convert. May God reward him for his work. You asked me if you too are allowed to say in the blessings and prayers you offer alone or in the congregation, our God and God of our ancestors. Eloheinu velohe avotenu and who has sanctified us with God's commandments and commanded us, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu, and who has separated us and who has chosen us and who, has, who gave inheritance to our ancestors and who took us out of Egypt and who performed miracles for our ancestors and all other similar formulations. In other words, can I say our if quite literally my ancestors aren't the ancestors, my biological ancestors, aren't the ancestors that the Sidur is talking about. And Rambam says, yes, you should say them all exactly as they are. Do not change a thing. Just as any Jew by birth would pray and bless, so it is appropriate for you to bless and pray, whether in private or whether you are leading in the community. The reason for this is that Abraham, our father, taught the people, opened their minds, and revealed to them the true faith and the unity of God. He rejected idols and their worship. He brought many 
under the wings of the divine presence and taught, instructed, and commanded his descendants to follow God's way. Therefore, I'm going to read one more paragraph. Therefore, anyone in any generation who converts and unifies God's name is a student of Avraham, our father, and a member of his household. Avraham himself is responsible for setting them on the right, right path, just as he did for the people of his own generation. Avraham, our father, is thus the father to all his descendants who properly follow his example and also a father to all of his students and to any future convert. So we have, first of all, an emphatic technical answer to the question, yes, say those words, say those blessings, say those phrases just like anyone else would. But then he takes it one step further, right? And, and Rambam here links the experience, the identity, the journey of converts to Abraham and to the circle of faith and of peoplehood that Abraham drew around him. And so, what does it mean to each of you to be uh, a personal descendant of Avraham? What does it mean to have sat at his table and learned the truths of our people, of our way, of our God from his mouth? Um, to me, I guess it feels um, more like becoming part of a community and um, joining a, you know, history. We, we've discussed this, joining a history, a heritage. Um, and that's how I personally relate to that aspect, that we are all interrelated in this way. Um, I remember on Simchat Torah, Rabbi Browse was talking about how there was a period of time where the Jewish population was like pretty small. I mean, maybe, yeah. And, and like that everyone today is a descendant of those people. And I don't have probably as much Jewish ancestry as most of the individuals in this room, but it kind of like helped me feel the impact of the Jewish ancestry that I do have. And just, it kind of like felt like it affirmed my like deeper connection to that part of my family lineage and like it feels like that's like those specific ancestors of mine like their story is part of my story and that's I think why this is so meaningful to me and so um yeah I guess that's my answer to that um my mind just flashed onto the the concept of found family that's so important in queer culture and has been so important to me for a lot of my life the idea that there are a lot of different ways of being a parent and a lot of different ways of being parented. Um, and sometimes those ways that aren't biological ties are more important and more profound um, than the ones that are. And I'm a little emotional because I also lost my father like 20 years ago and I've had to deal with my own found family, whatever, feeling emotional. Um, but it makes me think of the ways that as a community we all parent each other and we find different people in our community who may occupy that role for us sometimes. Sometimes that role is reversed and maybe we're in more of a parenting or a teaching place and just the way that a, a people is a family writ large um, and how just touching and what a blessing it is to be able to be part of that. I just want to add, um, 
know, Rambam could have chosen a different figure. He could have chosen a different patriarch or matriarch. He could have chosen Moses. He was a big fan of Moses. Um, but he chose Abraham. Um, and, I, and I think that there's a couple reasons why he might have chosen Abraham. But, but maybe one of the reasons is because, as you said, Jessica, right? Abraham is the first character in our story who heard the call. Who heard the call and then went on a journey to a place unknown right? and then became the father of a great nation. Right? And, and saying that each of us, each of us here, right, um, sat at that table with Abraham and, and heard the call as well and then followed, followed in those footsteps, I think, is, is in some ways a way of celebrating the best parts of the first text and the second text, right? The call was there since the beginning, and you still had to lech lecha. You still had to go on the journey, right? And, and there are a lot of unknowns in that journey. And the call came first. Right? God speaks to Abraham before Abraham speaks to God. Keep that in mind as we read the last paragraph. Therefore, you should say, our God and God of our ancestors, for Avraham is your father. And you should also say, who gave inheritance to our ancestors, for the land was given to Avraham. And the miracles that happened are as if they happened to us and to you as well. There is no difference between us and you with respect to anything. And you should certainly say, who has chosen us and who has given us the Torah, because God has indeed chosen you and given you the Torah. You are chosen. You are chosen. Is that... Jessica, I think I want to ask you. Sure. I don't know if I'm chosen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I'm chosen? Is that what you're asking me? Uh, I, what, what, I, what, I, what I want to ask you is... Um, there's a piece of this journey um, which you initiated, and there's a piece of this journey which came from elsewhere. I feel like for me, most of it felt like it came from elsewhere, because there were just, yeah, for like, since, I mean, I can pinpoint these certain moments in my journey that kind of like, but of like, oh, like me feeling kind of like intrigued or like interested or feeling like there's something there or feeling like a resonance with Judaism. And I, it just, I think, and I mentioned that I went to the synagogue in 2017 and I was like, no, you know? So I think, you know, it, it, but it didn't go away. So it just, for me, like it just doesn't, it just feels like something I had to do, you know? And and I didn't know why I had to do it. And when I took the Intro to Judaism class, I didn't have a plan to like go through the whole conversion process either. I wasn't like, I'm going to choose to do this. I was just kind of like, I'll see where this goes, you know? And it led to me being here on this panel tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, perpetual, a perpetual calling, right? Not just a one-time calling. Um, I'm, I'm looking at um, giving you the Torah. 
And I also have a trying to read the Bible from cover to cover story, only I didn't succeed. I only got through the first five books. Um, didn't even come close. Um, but I, I was like, a, I was 11 and I would read it. And I, I remember <clears throat> I had this habit of eating Kool-Aid while I ate when I was 11. And so you, you can see like little pieces of like pink Kool-Aid in it while I'm eating. Um, and I remember just sort of like huddling up with it in my room and just loving this this Torah that I had, although I didn't have that word for it, um, and what a gift it was, and how much it sustained me through my life before I knew why, um, or before I had a practice of how to be in relationship to it. Um, I just, I had that gift, and, and that is definitely kind of a small moment that is that stands in for what this feels like. Yeah. Um, you know, Morris, I always have trouble with these types of things. I guess you know me. Um, it's a was I chosen? You know, my answer to most questions is like perhaps. You know, <laughs> maybe. Sometimes I feel it. Sometimes I don't. I'm conflicted most most days. So. Um, but I feel strongly, and I guess it depends on my mood how I woke up that morning, but um, I'm still maybe kind of in between a lot of things like that. Was I chosen? I'm not quite sure. Um, I want to thank the three of you, Alex, Jen, Jessica. You're welcome. Um, For en engaging in this experiment uh, of learning together and then learning again together, this time <laughs> with an audience, um, and uh, for really modeling what it looks like to see yourself in the text and to bring yourself to the text and then to ask the text to be even better, a better reflection of who you are. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.